Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on June 18, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. Before we get started this evening, I'd like to mention that we are soliciting direct feedback from you, our listening audience, regarding this podcast. If you have any suggestions for topics to cover, or if you know of anyone that you feel we should be talking with on this podcast, please let us know. We can be reached via email at podcast at theallianceparty.com. Again, that's podcast at theallianceparty.com. The Alliance Party is all one word, no hyphens, no underscores. Also, we have a Twitter feed at Alliance on Air. Again, that's at Alliance on Air. And this evening, we're talking with Chad Peace, legal advisor for the Independent Voter Project. The Independent Voter Project, or IVP, is a nonprofit 501c4 organization that seeks to re-engage nonpartisan voters and promote nonpartisan election reform through initiatives, litigation, and voter education. The Independent Voter Project is best known for recently authoring California's successful nonpartisan primary. The Independent Voter Project works with organizations around the country to reduce the institutional barriers that limit electoral competition and restrict the nonpartisan right to vote, thus insulating the two major parties from competition. The Independent Voter Project believes that democracy functions best when most people participate. They also believe that political representatives should be held accountable to their entire community, not just their party. Chad Peace is a nationally recognized leader in election law, voter rights, and a 40 under 40 winner from the American Association of Political Consultants. He is a partner at a law firm and a legal strategist for the Independent Voter Project. In addition to providing strategic legal advice and advocacy, he has managed to develop campaigns to increase voter rights and participation, to promote and expand California's nonpartisan primary efforts, and to reach out to otherwise ignored and disenchanted voters. Chad developed the voter outreach strategy for California's successful nonpartisan primary initiative and conducted the campaign to draft a current United States senator to run for office. Most recently, he authored the City of San Diego's Measure K and manages voter outreach efforts in local, statewide, and national efforts, including a major candidate for President of the United States. Chad, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, and thank you for joining us this evening. Well, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Good, good. We're, we're very happy to have you here. Uh, just before we get started into our discussion, though, I, I'd like to clarify some terms that I, I threw out there during the introduction. Uh, first of all, what is a nonpartisan voter, and is that the same as an independent voter? Yeah, it's funny you start off with that question. I mean, we get asked that a lot and, you know, independent voter project, for example, gets, um, you know, a lot of people assume, oh, that means you support, you know, independent voter rights, capital I. Um, just like the term nonpartisan, uh, we view that as it's not anti-partisan. It just means it's partisan agnostic, right? Um, we believe that reform shouldn't serve any party or people without a party and that the, the goal of reform should be to level the playing field and have uh, fair rules, regardless of whether you exercise your, your right to join a party or you exercise your right to be independent. So mm-hmm. uh, okay. it's more the connotation that we use is ag- agnosticism. Agnosticism. Okay. And 
So what is, we also talked about in, in the intro there, nonpartisan primary. What is that? Right. So most simply, you know, the purpose of a traditional primary that most people are familiar with is partisan, right? The, the purpose of the election is to elect a nominee of a political party. Mm-hmm. So that's important because the actual legal purpose is not to elect somebody that would be a good representative for the party or, or for the electorate. It's legal purpose is to serve the party's ability to elect the leader that they choose. Right. So mm-hmm. there is no public purpose within the context of a, a democratic party primary or Republican party primary. A nonpartisan primary is fundamentally different in that. And that's why you have in California, it's called like top two. Mm-hmm. We're currently working on expanding that in San Diego to top four. Um, but the nonpartisan primary is different, right? You can take a closed primary state that has traditional partisan primaries mm-hmm. and that are closed. And you have a situation where almost 50% of the electorate are registered independents. Because it's a partisan-based primary, and because the legal purpose is a private one to elect a nominee, mm-hmm. almost half the electorate has no legal right, at least you know we're challenging that on federal grounds, but as it mm-hmm. stands today, they have no legal right to participate in that first stage of the election. Mm-hmm. So that's a partisan purpose primary. And a nonpartisan, all the candidates, all the voters, they all participate, all the parties participate on the same ballot. So it's nonpartisan in that you can have four Democrats and six, six Republicans, two independents and, you know, whatever the composition of the field is, but just like in the general election, they're all competing on the same ballot. So you don't have the division amongst, among the electorate at the beginning Mm -hmm. one and two, if you're an independent or as they call them in California, no party preference, you have the right of access. Your vote is just as powerful as everybody, every other voters, whether you've chosen to join a party or not. Hmm. So can you then vote in in either party or, or both parties like Democrats, Republicans? And- well, so that's important. You can vote for any candidate of any party because remember, the purpose is not to elect a party official or a party representative in the primary. So there are not two ballots in California's nonpartisan primary. There's no Republican party or Democrat uh-huh. party primary to vote in. Now get even more confusing because California's presidential primaries still have Democrat and Republican ballots, but mm-hmm. for every other race from us Senate down to dog catcher, it's a nonpartisan race, which means there's only one ballot. And so that's why we actually use the term party preference. Mm. Um, So a candidate's listed on the ballot as party preference, Republican, party preference, none, party preference, Democrat, because any voter is participating in that primary and they can select any candidate um, regardless uh, of, of what that candidate's party affiliation actually is. Okay, got it. Yeah, and the thing that's always bothered me about these closed primaries, too, is that uh, it uses a lot of state resources to run these these polls, to, to, you know, to run the voting polls. And, you know, if you're not one of the members of that party, you don't get to participate, yet your tax money still 
subsidizes it, right? Right. And, and that is that exactly we have a case against Secretary of State Padilla in California right now. And that is one of the arguments that we make is that, you know, this is a, a taxpayer funded process administered by public officials. And as it relates to the presidential primary, which is still a traditional partisan based primary, you have voters being disenfranchised um, on the basis of exercising their First Amendment right of non-association. Um, it's this this issue is actually not a new one. And if and within the context of, of whatever what uh, the you know the national dialogue today, it's interesting to note that there's a case called Gravy Sanders, which is in a line of cases um, you know referred to as the white primaries cases. Um, and ultimately ended up as Smith v. Allwright in the Supreme Court, where the Supreme, where this is at a time when the Democratic Party in Texas argued that we didn't have to allow African Americans to vote in the primary because we're a private party, mm. right? and these election, the primary elections are private purpose. Mm -hmm. Well, the court in that case, under the Fifteenth Amendment. Um, said no well they're they are private primaries however they are you know they're a important component of the public process and this is really the only meaningful avenue for african americans to express their vote and if they don't have an opportunity to vote for the candidates that will be on the general election ballot well then they don't have the one you know they don't have an equal right to vote at all yeah so it's really the same line of thought. We're saying, well, if that applies under the 15th Amendment, well, why doesn't it apply under the First Amendment right of non-association? Um, and why doesn't it apply to every other voter? Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, too, because you know, oftentimes because, because the parties have become such polar opposites lately that the only time you can really express any choice is in the primary. Right, because right. then you're, you're deciding who actually runs. It's, it's at least, you know, the way that districts are mostly gerrymandered around the country, your district is going to go, you know, it's going to swing one way or the other. And um, so your only opportunity really to have a voice is during that primary. Exactly right. It's the same argumentation that we're not, this isn't a novel argument. It's all, although it's applied in a little bit different context. Uh, we made the argument, um, we're making it today in California. We made it in our argument in New Jersey. In the case of New Jersey, which has closed primaries, um, part of our argumentation was that on a state level, there was literally not one competitive election in the entire state of New Jersey. If mm. you define competitive election by one that's decided by 10 percentage points, plus or minus, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's a consequence of gerrymandering. Right. So our argument was not only do independent voters not have a right to vote in the primary, if you're a member of the minority party in a district that's been gerrymandered, at what point in the process do you ever have a meaningful vote? Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's one of the questions we asked the court, which they've they've answered before, but we're asking them in this context is what's the definition of the right to vote? Is it is it to have a symbolic casting of a vote or is it to express a meaningful vote and it's our position that everybody's vote should be equally meaningful yeah yeah all right that that sounds that that makes a lot of sense so um moving on to the independent voter project itself um i looked it up on the website and did a little bit of homework on this it it, it looks like it was established uh or been in operation since 2006 mm -hmm. and since that time there have been a, a number of challenges and victories along the way 
Um, could you highlight some of the victories so that our you know, listening audience can get a sense of you know what type of important work the in- Independent Voter Project is working on? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So in 2006, it was really a, you know some some folks in the Capitol, um, some legislators, both Republicans and Democrats, basically got together and said, "Look, this this is getting way too partisan. Um, you know, we used to do a lot better governance around here. Now everything's becoming a partisan fight. Like, what can we do about it?" So that's when the focus group uh, testing went, polling, looking into different solutions. Uh, right about the time that uh, the Supreme Court actually sank, um, gave the seal of approval on Washington State's uh, top two primary, mm-hmm. and you know what they came to was okay. Well, what is what? Can, what's a first step to improving the process? What could we possibly get accomplished and passed in California um, at this time? And what they came to was uh, drafting a top two nonpartisan primary initiative, as we as we talked before, is changing the fundamental purpose of California's uh, primaries. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we could go on all day about how that actually got passed. Um, you know, it was actually a Republican that withheld their vote on the budget to get it on the ballot. And then, you know, ended up ended up passing that so that was our kind of first major victory uh, most conventional wisdom was that we couldn't pass it and from there independent voter projects done a number of things including they're the primary publisher of ivn.us which is a news outlet that tries to focus on nonpartisan issues like election reform Mm-hmm. Um, been a founding member of the National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers, trying to get um, folks interested in reform from whether it's nonpartisan primaries or ranked choice voting or approval voting and all score voting, you know, whatever groups are out there to sit at a table and kind of look at each other um, as um, as uh, like partners in this kind of long-term battle mm-hmm. um, and has been able to bring some groups together to do things like a project independent voter project is very intimately involved in here in San Diego, which is, you know, we've got a lot of pushback. I mean, from third parties, both parties, you know, on top two primary where a lot of folks are like, well, this is going to make things even worse. So you're really just an under, a bunch of undercover partisans trying to insulate the Democrats mm. and Republicans because, you know, the, the top two are always going to be Republicans and Democrats. Right. right. Well, there's I get there's some merit in that argument. But mm-hmm. until you sit at the table and talk about why we're doing what we're doing. Right. Um, what the reason we did the top two nonpartisan primary was to take a first critical step. Right. Let's change the fundamental nature of the primary. Now, if we went on to something bigger and broader and added, you know, all kinds of X, Y's and Z's, we would have never passed it. It Mm -hmm. was hard enough to make that marginal change. So in San Diego, what we're trying to do with the partnership of some really great organizations represent us and Fair Vote and League of Women Voters is is take that primary from a top two and move it to a top four primary. So most simply, nothing changes um, in the primary other than four candidates go on to the general election instead of two. And then you utilize ranked choice voting in the general election to ensure that you have a majority winner. Um, We're doing that right now. Um, And then we're also in the midst of a lawsuit, as I alluded to earlier, with the Secretary of State um, 
aside from California state primary state elections, mm-hmm. the presidential primary is unique in that it remains under the different rules because it's a totally different election. It's a, you know, it's right. a nationwide election. Most simply, California's constitution actually says the legislature shall provide for an open presidential primary. Mm-hmm. But if you go on the Secretary of State's website and you say, how is California conduct their primary? It says California's primary is a semi-closed primary. Now, that might sound like a bunch of wonky, wonky details, but it's it's significant. And most simply, I tell people, well, a semi-closed isn't open, is it? <laughs> they would they wouldn't be opposite words. Um, the reason why that's important to voter rights and I think uh, the larger reform uh, battle is because the reason they've done it that way is because the parties can better control who can and cannot participate. Right. And it limits the power of the voter, uh, the, the nonpartisan voter or independent voter, or whatever you, you call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are challenging that the constitutionality of that, both on state and federal grounds. Their argument is, well, you can't have an open primary because that the parties don't want to allow non-members into their primary, mm-hmm. and that violates their First Amendment right of association of non-association. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can go into all the wonky details, but what it comes down to is uh, us making the argument that open is a simple term. It means that it's open to any to voters, right? All voters. Now. There's all kinds of ways to remedy any conflict the parties might have by not wanting voters to not participate in their primary. But the solution is not to exclude 30, 35% of California's electorate from the process because they've chosen not to join a party. Well, yeah, then what happens when parties are able to exclude the, pro- the, the, the people, then they don't advocate for all the people when they get in power, right? They're, they're exactly. just... Exactly. They're, they're only accountable to the people that have the power to vote. Yeah. Wow. So that, that sort of ruins democracy in a sense. So. <laughs> and that's our argument. And uh, I, I don't, I don't think to kind of your point, it seems like a lot of these things intuitive and, and more time when I talk to people they're like, well, that seems like, why is this so difficult to win this legal case? Well, you know, courts, I think, are rightfully conservative, not in the ideological sense, mm-hmm. um, but conservative in that, um, you know, there's a whole, you know, the, the the political thicket question, right? If you go, it, you know, if you anybody that's gone to law school, you know, they probably spent a whole, uh, you know, two, three classes on the political thicket question mm-hmm. in, in constitutional law, is the courts are very hesitant to do anything that's going to involve themselves in the political process. And so... Right. I mean, it was decades before they got to the Reynolds v. Sims one person, one vote decision, because the largest question was, well, can we even issue a ruling on this? Um, so uh, so as we go and we're, we're just at the the beginning stages of filing lawsuits from this framing, I'm not at all disheartened by the inability or the, the inability or the, the lack of a judge you know, that a, a district level judge going, you know what, this is legally right. I'm going to go make a decision that is going to have enormous consequences, not just in my courtroom, in my district, in my state, but this has implications literally in all 50 states for mm-hmm. something 
you know, as important. So we know it's a very long battle and it's really about building up the legal case in the courtroom, building it up in different states and at the right time. And, you know, maybe this is a, you know, wishful thinking, but I would like to think that one day um, we will be able to knock on the Supreme court's door because we've built up the case enough in enough jurisdictions that then it's ripe for a court of that level to hear what would have a case that would have such drastic consequences. Yeah. I used to, uh, I used to work in sales uh, for a number of years as an engineer. I was just traveling with salespeople, but they always had this concept of building the groundswell, right? You you just can't go in there. And this is kind of a similar concept. You just can't go in up to a judge and say, Hey, make this decision because they don't want to get accused of being legislating from the bench. Uh, sure. So you have to, I think, yeah, the hard work, it, it takes years, I think, to, uh, you know, convince uh, not only people in legal circles, but, you know, the whole culture, really, that this is the right thing to do. Absolutely. And and, and really, it's it's funny because I, I mentioned, you know, we're obviously using existing cases and, and, this, and precedent and everything, but it's a it's a view of existing precedent that's never been confronted in the court. So there's a lot, there's an education process, not only amongst ourselves and people that are interested in reform and issues like independent voters and parties, but Mm -hmm. the court system itself and the judges and the journalists that cover it, right. Is there's an education process of going, Oh wait, you're not talking about this case within the context of how everyone else has argued it. You're talking about it, take off the glasses and put on this set of glasses and now look at the case, right? right. That makes- yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Now, you, uh, in, in uh, just going back a few minutes here, you talked about fair vote. We've actually had them on our podcast uh, a number of times in the past. Um, we haven't had represent that us yet. So these are other organizations that that you've been working with. Um, do you, uh, what other organizations are there? You, you mentioned League of Women Voters, Fair Vote, Represent Us. Um, are there other organizations that are involved in? Well, the- there's. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of them. We Open Primaries is a great organization I've worked with for a long time that's doing uh, open primary reform on a national level. You have groups like uh, Independent Voting, which has done a great job of um, getting independent voters uh, focused on on these kinds of issues. Um, at the more local level, you have groups like Let Colorado Vote that you know moved. Uh, move Colorado from a closed to a semi-open primary system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you go across the country, there's lots, you know, fair vote has chapters of fair vote, Minnesota, right. And they, yeah. there's yeah. a group in Massachusetts, which I know fair vote is one of a number of coalition that's doing that here in San Diego. Uh, we have, you know, we have uh, added support from organizations that aren't quote unquote in the election reform space, but, um, are really pushing for this reform, uh, in, including you know, community advocates for a moral and just governance. Right? It's really a, a civil rights organization focused on, you know, civil rights in the African American communities. We mm-hmm. have a group called Business for America that is, um, you know, basically working with business leaders and making the case for reform. Um, you know, so it's an interesting. Um, groups depending on where you're at that come together for these reforms but um you know take back republic is actually you know they're a more conservative leaning organization that advocates for election reform 
And a lot of people may look at it and go, these are some random groups that generally aren't working together on policy stuff. And, and mm -hmm. I, you know, I always tell you, I go, look, nonpartisan reform is truly nonpartisan to your first question, right? It's agnostic mm -hmm. about ideology, mm -hmm. right? It's right. people that say there's a more fair way to do things and with more fairness, we'll have a better democracy. The outcome we believe, whether we're hyper liberal or hyper conservative or consider ourselves rabid moderates, doesn't matter because we all agree the outcome, whatever it is, is going to be more representative and accountable than what we have today. Yeah. But but to that end, I mean, uh, there has to be some coordination because I know that, you know, from my conversations with Fair Vote, they're, um, they seem to be focused a lot on ranked choice voting and um, something called multi-winner districts. Uh -huh. uh, but when you engage with them, I mean, obviously, there has to be some coordination so you're not um, you know, duplicating each other's efforts there, right? Well, absolutely. And that was really the impetus behind forming the National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers. Um, it's because of that, those conversations and having sitting together on the board with Rob Ritchie and, and developing those discussions. It was actually Rob Ritchie who runs uh, as executive director of Fair Vote and uh, Dan Howe, who's the executive director of, uh, of Independent Voter Project, um, who had disagreed in the past, um, you know, whether about whether ranked choice voting or top two primaries is better, co-authored an op-ed after they began sitting with each other on the board, co-authored an op-ed said, here's a great new next reform for California. Mm -hmm. Advance it from a top two to top four and put ranked choice voting in the general election. So Fair Vote's been a great coalition partner in San Diego. Um, they helped draft the initiative, um, <clears throat> been supportive throughout. And it, it's, it's, really that coalition effort, I think that gives us a new opportunities to be successful in this space where it's really <laughs> kind of been one, a lonely place, but two, um, you know, there hadn't been much collaboration and cooperation 10 years ago. I think now it's, um, you know, the space is uh, maturing and the, the relationships have been built um, to a level that a lot more of those opportunities to work together, to not conflict with each other and reduce mm -hmm. redundancy and all that, um, it's much more opportune today. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot more people that are interested in these topics these days, too, because I think, you know, it's, um, I think it was Lee Drutman. We actually had him on our previous podcast, mm -hmm. and um, he wrote this book called Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop. And he talked, he went back into history, like in the 1950s, and talked about how, you know, the difference between Democrats and Republicans, yeah, there were differences, but they, for the most part, worked with each other. But over the past few decades, that has, uh, there's like, there's been this huge chasm between these two parties, and now there uh, there's a lot of vitriol going between them and name-calling and, and uh, vilification of the other side. You know, books like Lee Drutman, Greg Orman's written a book, Catherine Gell and Michael Porter just came out with an incredible book, you know, following a study they did on the competitiveness of elections, right? Mm -hmm. Is that having people like this that have credibility or thought leaders and putting serious attention on this, I think, is exactly, you know, we talked about this earlier, is what is, will start, are the building blocks for advancing reform you know, and I always use the analogy is that, you know, the progressive era didn't happen, didn't didn't happen because of something that happened overnight. 
Right. It happens so fast. When I'm referring to the progressive era, I'm not talking about progressive as they use it now, but the progressive area when they moved primaries into the public process and had a bunch of election and campaign finance reforms at the turn of the century, right? Mm -hmm. It happened extraordinarily fast in a political context, but there was 30 years preceding that of people getting frustrated, saying, what can we do, building the relationships, and then ultimately you know, there was this wave of reform, right? Well, in the last hundred years, the parties have had opportunities to slowly erect barriers to participation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure as a third party, you're familiar with laws like spoiler laws, um, you know, that and uh, ballot access requirements that are ridiculous, that aren't really like one thing the parties did overnight, but they slowly erected barriers to participation yeah. just like you know businesses would do in an economic duopoly is is erect barriers to, to competition and now we're here today where we have two powerful parties which frankly one thing i always make sure to clarify is when nonpartisan is not anti-partisan because i don't think most people in office today who are representatives and democrats prefer the system that we have mm-hmm. but they know they have to go and run in their primary. They have to go and they're accountable to these voters. And so half the things, if not more, probably 90% of the stuff that they want to do, Mm -hmm. they just can't because they know they'll likely get attacked by their own side for not being partisan enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's a real problem. Yeah. We've talked about that in previous podcasts too. That, That is a real issue. And it, it and it's sad too. I mean, it, and also what happens to a lot of these representatives and senators that go to Washington D.C. They spend half their time dialing for dollars, right? They're trying well, to yeah. Get- you're dialing for dollars, and then you're only talking to the you know, and and you end up having going to the same fundraisers and parties and everything of of people that are living in the same box. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you know, tapping out you know, being able to reach out outside the kind of circle think is, is what mm-hmm. makes democracy work. And unfortunately, there's no incentives for, for legislators to do that these days. Yeah. And it's, um, I, I did want to bring up one other thing, because I noticed with your, with your website, um, there is a lot of um, 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 fighting on behalf or uh, fighting, I should say, of the Commission on Presidential Debates, the CPD, Yep. And um, this is something that's always kind of mystified me because I, I I didn't realize this before I got involved in politics. I just thought, well, you turn on the TV and there's the debates, right? But there's this whole organization behind the scenes that is not really, um, uh, obviously, not very um, fair, in my opinion. And it used to be run by the League of Women Voters, in fact, <laughs> until recently. In fact, a lot of people probably think it still is run by the League of Women Voters, but that's not the case and hasn't been the case for quite some time now. So what, what is the uh, Independent Voter Project doing uh, for the, uh, um, what are they, what sort of um, work are they doing on the CPD, the Commission on Presidential Debates? Sure. So yeah, when the League of Women Voters withdrew their support and participation, um, I encourage everybody to read their quote and really think about it. They actually, they basically said our continued participation would perpetuate a falsity on the American people, right? Wow. Um, yeah. Because... As you mentioned, most people assume this is like some, you know, government funded platform for candidates to speak. Well, the Commission on Presidential Debates is a 
501c3 organization that is a literal partnership between the Democratic and the Republican parties. The mm-hmm. composition of it is half the members are Republicans, half the members are Democrats, and they promulgate rules um, that determine who can and cannot participate in the presidential debates. And they make the deals with the major TV stations about who's going to broadcast and when they're going to be and all that kind of stuff. So this case was brought um, by Level the Playing Field. Um, you know, f- some of your uh, listeners might be familiar with the name Peter Ackerman. He's been very involved in um, issues like ranked choice voting, um, was very influential in, in getting that passed in Maine. Um, but, you know, he basically just decided one day, you know, I'm going to challenge him legally. Mm-hmm. And so they, we went to court. Um, it's been a long process because they're, you know, they're governed by an administrative agency that, you know, the FEC, that they have to first go to administrative court and then go to, you know, state court and blah, blah, blah. But sparing all the details, the legal argumentation is, is basically saying, look, a 501c3 is a charity organization and there's legal requirements for having a C3, right? And most people are familiar with, you know, charities and stuff can't give political contributions. They can't be partisan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they challenge, that's one of the challenges is saying, look, this is a C3 organization, but it's not nonpartisan. It's bipartisan. And the bipart they have a bipartisan interest in keeping anybody out, right. um, which goes back to our Doffley conversation. Um, the other, you know, um, the other area of attack was um, the 15% r- uh, rule. Some mm-hmm. of your listeners might be familiar with is basically says, you know, their current rule in order to, you know, say they, so their argument is we are nonpartisan and we have nonpartisan rules, right? This is rule that you have to get 15% in national polling applies to everybody across the board. And, you know, if somebody gets 15% in the national polling, then then they get on the debate stage. Well, it's, it's polls so, that they that, that they select too, right? They can be selective well, in, in which polls. Exactly. And so that's part of their argumentation um, in the in, in this saying, look, this is this is uh, superficially uh, uh, it's superficially neutral. But look at all these reasons why it's not really neutral. It's actually designed to be an excuse to preclude participation, mm-hmm. um, not not to encourage it. And so, you know, to finally get to your question, um, we we filed uh, two amicus briefs in the case um, and basically, you know, providing some of the the larger context of this case um, in that in, you know, there's all these compounding effects like partisan primaries, closed primaries, um, campaign finance rules, and then the Commission on Presidential Debates, which all come together as part of this great wall that that prevents competition and insulates uh, the two parties from really being responsive to the broader electorate. So we've been proud to participate in that. I mean, that was uh, signed by the brief, actually had the uh, honor of writing um, Mm -hmm. full disclosure with my brother, who's one of my law partners, Mm -hmm. Um, was actually signed by, you know, some folks like Joe Lieberman and former Governor Christy Todd Whitman and General Starvides. So, um, it was, uh, um, you know, honor. And unfortunately, the latest ruling, the court again uh, ruled against level the playing field. And um, wow. You know, yeah. um, but 
you know, I think they will continue to appeal uh, because on, you know, on the merits, I think I believe they're right. Um, but, it, you know, as I mentioned before, I don't think Peter Ackerman nor myself are necessarily discouraged or surprised that the ruling is against uh, was against them. Mm-hmm. Um, we just know how hard and long the battle is. It's an yeah. institution that, uh, um, remember it's legislators that appoint judges. It's, you know, right. it's, uh, it, yeah. it's not something that's going to be won overnight. Um, the best, but at the end of the day, whether it's a legal fight or it's an initiative at the ballot box, um, that, that the reform will really catalyze and there will be a lot more successes when, the average voter starts really thinking about these issues. And that starts with even understanding that there are these opportunities, which Mm -hmm. most people don't even know. Well, if I just ask kind of a dumb question here, maybe what is it about the commission on presidential debate that gives them uh, ultimate authority? I mean, couldn't just um, a consortium of say media companies uh, sponsor their own debates and, and, you know, select the people that they want to participate and, you know. It- yeah, I mean, y- yes, uh, but then, you know, there's also a lot of other factors such as, you know, like, you can't force buy-in from the candidates so right. yeah. um, or the parties. And then, the, the right, even if the candidate wanted to, then they have to be, you know, the party has to give them the okay to do it or they can't be their nominee, right? So, right, right. Um, it's, it's really just goes to highlight just um, how systemic it is, inst- like institutionalized it is, right? Mm-hmm. That you go and you try to challenge that. Yes, in theory, you can just start an organization and say we're debate holders and anybody can participate. And folks have done that. So there's groups like Open the Debates and Free and Equal that have, you know, doing, I think, admirable work and trying to both highlight this issue and provide alternate forums, but you know, just the extreme amount of money you would have to over, you have to overcome mm-hmm. um, the institutional barriers and and incentivize the parties and candidates to then participate in this alternate alternative form. Why in the and media too? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's more money than you can imagine. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's a good answer. So uh, we're coming up to the end of our time here. I just wanted to uh, do what I call the uh, call to action portion of our interview here. Uh, what can our, our listeners do to get more information and possibly get involved with the Independent Voter Project? Well, I think for the Independent Voter Project, um, you know, obviously just sign up for our newsletter either on IVN.us or independentvoterproject.org. Um is obviously something simple just to follow us. You can follow us on Facebook at Independent Voter. Um, of course, like any organization, especially in the nonpartisan space, we can always, we're always, can use and appreciate whatever uh, donations you can make that go to doing things like filing these, these lawsuits. Right now, um, the top four prime uh, initiative is, uh, you can go to morechoicesd.org um and any support especially if you're in san diego that you can give uh on that is much appreciated um and then i would say the final thing is um you know there's a lot as you you mentioned there's so many good organizations out there doing stuff if you're trying to get involved in something you know where you might have a local chapter or group is uh go to the uh, national reformer or nonpartisan reformers.org 
that's nonpartisan reformers.org and just take a look at the members and um and i think starting there by just clicking through some of the some of the members and and checking out what they're doing mm -hmm. um and i i can almost be certain that you'll find something of interest to get more uh involved with uh on a daily basis but you know Okay, good. Always welcome to reach out to IVP, and we are happy to chat with anybody anytime. Okay, so your organization, IVN.us, or um, Independent Voter Project, it's all one word, no spaces, no hyphens. Correct. And uh, that nonpartisan reformers, is that the same way? No spaces, no hyphens, just nonpartisan? That's correct. Yep. Okay. Nonpartisanreformers.org. .org. Okay, good. So is there anything else you'd like to add before we uh, call it an evening? I think we covered a lot of ground. I, I appreciate you uh, having me on and taking the time to, to chat with me. Well, thank you, Chad. We've been talking with Chad Peace, legal advisor for the Independent Voter Project. And uh, Chad, um, thank you for stopping by to chat with us this evening. Great to be here. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any new episodes. Each week we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Also, a special note here. This Wednesday evening, we will release a special edition of the podcast where Larry Stanley will drop by and chat with us. Larry is an Alliance Party candidate running to be a representative for the 8th District in the Washington State Legislature. Tune in and get some perspective from a legislative district in the eastern portion of the state of Washington. Also, keep in mind that the podcast now has a Twitter page at Alliance On Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at www.theallianceparty.com. Again, that's www.theallianceparty.com. Drop in, see what we're all about, and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you. <laughs>